Hey guys, this is Everything Missing or Murdered Podcast. My name is Andrea. I'm really sorry for this episode being super late. I've been just kind of going through some things and of course now I'm sick, so I'm having some difficulties recording because of that. Uh, so I apologize in advance, but I'm okay. Uh, it's just going through a lot of stuff um, that I don't really want to get into and you probably don't really care. Uh, so I'm um, just, just stressed and tired all the time and but here I am, and tonight's episode's not going to be very long, but next week I have two episodes coming out, and they're going to be um, mysteries kind of like this, where it's just like what happened, you know? I mean, well, all of them are kind of like that, aren't they? All mysteries. Um, but this one definitely hits home. Um, I didn't know them, obviously, but it's just it's just really sad and hard, and uh, I want to know what happened to them, so. All right. Um, so this is the disappearance of the Yuba, Yuba County Five. They are from Yuba City, California. They are members of a local basketball team for people with mental disabilities. 32-year-old, 32-year-old Ted Weiher had signs of autism. 30-year-old Jack Madruga was a slow learner. 29-year-old William or Bill Sterling was intellectually disabled. 24-year-old Jack Hewitt, he had physical and mental disabilities. And 25-year-old Gary Mathias. Gary was in the army and went to West Germany. He used drugs and was let go and diagnosed with schizophrenia. <coughs> he was apparently violent too. Um, at this time, he was treated with antipsychotics and seemed to be doing well. Each of the five lived with their families, but some had jobs. Jack Madruga was also an army vet and had a driver's license. <clears throat> and he drove a car that he very much loved, uh, turquoise and white, 1969 Mercury Montego. <clears throat> Sorry. On February 25th, 1978, the Yuba County Five were going to participate in a basketball game for the Special Olympics. The winning team would get a free trip to Disneyland. They wanted to win and were excited. Even went so far as to, you know, lay out their basketball jerseys the night before. So it's like, you know, because they're really excited for it. And I understand that. On February 24th, the night before their big game, the Yuba Five drove to Chico, California. And according to Google, it was like a 60-minute drive. They were all going to watch a college basketball game between UC Davis and Chico State. Jack Madruga drove them all to the game. Bill Sterling, Jack Hewitt, Ted Weiher, Jack Madruga, and Gary Mathias never came home. Remember, they had a basketball game that they were really excited to go see the next day. So what happened to them? The police searched the route all five of the men would have taken back to Yuba City from Chico, but they were not there. No signs of them anywhere. A park ranger from the Plumas National Forest told the police he saw a Mercury Montego parked along one of the roads in the forest on February 25th. The ranger didn't worry because people in the area park on that road while going cross-country skiing in the snow. The snow in the area was insanely thick, so it was perfect snow for that. Knowing that Jack Madruga drives a Mercury Montego, the... <coughs> The police found the car and identified the car as his. Their family members do not even know why they would have gone that far in the woods. Um, 
Plus, from Chico, according to Google Maps, it's an hour drive. And from Yuba to Plumas National Forest, it is 49-minute drive. So why? Why were they way out there? And it was snowing that night, so it doesn't make any sense. The car got stuck in a snowdrift, and it looked like they tried... Well, yeah, so it got stuck in the snowdrift, and it looked like they did try to get the car out. But the police think, well, they're five healthy young men. They should have been able to pull it out, even if it was stuck. But it wasn't as stuck as as uh, as it was, like it seemed to be. The keys were missing. The police hot-wired the car, and it turned right on with no issues, and there was a quarter tank of gas still inside. So there was nothing wrong with the car besides it being kind of stuck in the snow. They also found, like, wrappers and stuff. Um, So the guys uh, went to a convenience store before... They were going home to get some snacks, and they found the wrappers of what they had in the car. Their Mercury Montico was looked at, and nothing seemed damaged, even though the area was rough. And it didn't seem like Jack drove the car. It had to be driven. Well, I mean, he probably drove the car, but it looked like someone that knew the area told them where to go or something because they didn't know the area. And... And the car didn't look, it was a rough terrain, and you'd think the car would have damage to it, some kind of damage like scratches, but nowhere, it didn't have any damage. So either one of them knew where they were, which according to the family, they didn't, or they were with somebody that knew where they were. So the theory is maybe Jack didn't even drive the car. Maybe he was forced to drive it or somebody else drove it for them. I don't know. <laughs> but it is curious how how a group of men that have never been in that area, like, drove cautiously in an area that they know nothing about you know it's weird i mean i guess it was snowing so maybe they still were cautious anyway i I don't know that's just one of the theories there was a blizzard that started in the area so the search had to be stopped for a while in uh, june of two of 1978 a group of bikers found a forest service trailer in a campsite about 19 miles away from where the mercury montego was found inside Ted Weihar, his remains were found in sheets on a bed and his feet were frostbitten and gangrenous. Gangrenous, sorry. They determined that Ted survived 13 weeks. Ted died from hypothermia and starvation, which doesn't make sense because there was food in the trailer that was untouched. There were some cans that were open, but there was a lot of dry food that wasn't uh, open There was matches, books, fuel. I don't understand how that was, none of that was used. They could have made a fire. It's weird. There was enough food to feed all five of them for a year, at least, in that trailer. And according to Ted Weiher's family, um, they said that he lacked common sense. Um, So they had to, at one point, um, the ceiling was on fire and he was in bed. And they had to drag him out. He wouldn't get up because he was afraid uh, he would be late for work or something. And so he just was scared. And that's why he was in the bed. So maybe that makes sense why he was in the bed in the trailer. Like he was scared of something. I don't know. 
Uh, but that makes sense about the fire, I guess, or something. But food, you'd think he would know how, you know, he would eat food, right? I, I just, or somebody would have given him food. They all, none of them ate that food. I mean, all of that food, I should say. <clears throat> the police also believed Ted was not alone that time because they found Gary and Matthias's shoes and there were some food containers open and the police found they were opened by a military type can opener and only Jack Madruga and Gary and Matthias would know how to use that because they were both in the army. So that's a thought process the police were thinking about. The police searched the distance between the trailer and where the car was found and eventually came upon the remains of Jack Madruga and William slash Bill Sterling. They both died from hypothermia. The police think one of them laid down to rest because that is a side effect of hypothermia. And maybe the other stayed with their friend and died from the cold, which is really sad to think about. Two days later, they found the remains of Jack Hewitt. His father was in on the search and found some of his son's clothing and in that clothing was the backbone of Jack Hewitt. Gary Matthias has never been found. But we know he was there at some point because his shoes were found in the trailer. So he was there at some point. And uh, Ted Weihar's feet had frostbite and was gangrenous. And he was missing his shoes. So the theory is maybe Gary took his shoes. But why? Now, I this case is very much full of uh theories because um that's all there is there isn't really any evidence to know where gary went what happened to these men i mean a lot of people don't think there was a mystery obviously they they felt that they were in need and found a place to shelter but the thing is it, that was like 20 miles from where their car was and it doesn't make sense why they were there and they didn't know the area that we know of and they wore light clothing. They they didn't wear warm clothing in this area. So clearly they were not thinking about just walking away from their life either. And they had a basketball game the next day. <clears throat> I guess it's a possibility that they could have gotten lost and ended up way over there. But I, I don't know. It's so many unknowns in this case. Why did they go that far off the route of going back home? They had no reason to run away. They weren't even, like I said, wearing the proper attire for that kind of weather. The Montego was stuck, yes, but they should have been able to pull the car out. And why didn't they wait for some help? I mean, I don't know if that was a heavily trafficked area or not, but I don't know why they traveled 20 miles for the car when they could have just waited in a nice warm car until someone came around. Did they want to... Did they want to sightsee? I mean, why were they over there? One theory is that the Yuba Five took a side trip to visit some friends of Gary in a town nearby. Jack Madruga took a wrong turn and kept going straight instead of turning around. But Gary's friends in that area hasn't heard from him in quite a long time. And after Jack died, the theory is he walked away. Um... And went somewhere else. Gary was known for being able to go long distances on foot. He, I guess, left an asylum and walked 500 miles at some point, which is crazy to me. It's crazy to think about. The police <laughs> passed around his picture in the town nearby to the hospitals, places that that 
to see if anyone has seen him. He did not bring his medication with him. Uh, so it's possible um, the thought process was that he had some kind of mental breakdown and maybe led the boys from the car in a diluted state, which I guess is a possibility, but I don't know much about schizophrenia. Jack Madruga's mom thinks that they had to have been forced up there. They wouldn't have left in the middle of the woods. Plus, Jack really loved his car. I don't really see somebody that loves his car so much and likes to take care of it to just leave it like that. Another family member of Ted Weihar uh, thinks maybe they saw something they shouldn't have and were forced up there. Like I said, they went to a convenience store to buy snacks after the game, so I'm sure they seemed normal to whoever was the store clerk. And uh, I mean, I guess it's possible somebody followed them all the way up there. Gary Mathias's stepdad thinks the only reason a fire was never built was because they were afraid of being found. I don't really know. In the 70s, schizophrenia was not fully researched or understood. Gary was taking his meds weekly uh, for a couple of years, so a lot of theories revolve around Gary snapping. He was good friends with these men. They played basketball together, went bowling a lot. Why would he do this to his friends. Snapping is very possible, but if he took his meds like everyone says, there would be no reason for it. He was never found. So, of course, people would go down that route and think, okay, he had to be the reason why this happened. <coughs> I don't really know what happened to them, but uh, Gary has not been found. So, I would like to know. I feel like if, the, if he was ever found, there would be some kind of answers. I did look on Reddit and found some theories. If someone forced them up in the forest, it wasn't planned. They went to the basketball to root for the UC Davis. So maybe some people in Chico didn't like that. I mean, sports fans can be really aggressive. I'm a fan of the Colts and the Vikings. One year, my dad got season tickets to see the Vikings play. <clears throat> and the day they faced the Colts, I, I wore a Peyton Manning jersey. And rooted for both teams. A drunk guy next to me called me names and harassed me. I'm in Minnesota. I should be wearing a Minnesota jersey and root for them. But not both. Well, that's not how I operate. So yeah, sports fans can be crazy. I can see that being a problem. One person I saw thought that they could be... That it could be possible... Um, about the... Uh, uh, the sports fans, or someone realized they all had a disability and wanted to harm them because of it. Which, I don't want to think that's what happened, but I don't know. Gateway Projects, which is the kind of program they were involved in, uh, and other programs in the, that are similar in the area, uh, were a part of some arse, arson issues, and... Um, a lot of the stuff was burned down in the 70s and other facilities for mental health. The director for Gateway Project was killed at one point uh, at unknown what happened to him. Another man involved was attacked at his house uh, in 1975. Then uh, when someone knocked on his door and threw gas at him and set him on fire, other employees had their car set on fire with Molotov cocktails, which is insane to me. So, just stuff like that. Okay. So, after they were found and the police were investigating them, 
there was some reports of sightings of them before they were found. So um, they were sighted after they'd left Chico, including some reports of them being seen in California. Um, most of the reports were let go. Uh, but two of the sightings were pretty prominent uh, that were like, you know, maybe this is what really happened. A guy from Sacramento told police he spent the night of February 24th and 25th by the where the Montego was found. <clears throat> he had driven up there where uh, he apparently had a cabin to check the snow because he had a ski trip coming up. He got stuck in the snow, just like the Montego did. He tried to free it. He started having symptoms of a heart attack and got back in his car, keeping the engine, you know, going. Uh, some hours later, he was waiting for some help. He saw two sets of headlights coming up behind him. A car was parked behind him, headlights on with a group of people around it, one of which seemed to be seemed to him to be a woman holding a baby. He called to them for help, but they stopped talking and turned their headlights out. Later, he saw more lights from behind him. That was the second one. This time, flashlights, but... Oh, so it wasn't headlights. It was flashlights. They also went out when he called to them, which I think is bizarre. He did see a pickup truck parking some feet behind him and then continuing on down the road. Later, he said that he could not be sure of that since at the time he was pretty delirious. So any of this could be, you know, whatever. His car did run out of gas. And he had to end up walking. Uh, and was driven back home. Passing the Montego. Because, you know, that's where he apparently heard the voices and everything. I wonder why, if there was really people there, I wonder why. But I don't think they were with a woman, you know. I think it was just the five men. So I wonder why, if, if he thinks that was the Yuba Five. I don't know. It's something to, to be curious about because it's like, why did he, why would they ignore him? That's weird. And uh, the family members of the Yuba Five don't think that would be like him to just, to just ignore pleas for help. So in Brownsville, which is 30 miles from where the car was found, on March 3rd, this woman saw flyers that had been distributed with the, the five men that were missing their pictures. There was a reward um, put up by the families that told... Well, she told that the police that four of them had stopped at this store in, in Brownsville in a red pickup truck two, da two days after they went missing. And the owner cooperated with this. The woman said 
she thought that they were the men from the area that was missing. But they were not from the area. Two of them that she identified as Jack Hewitt and Bill Sterling were at a telephone booth outside the store while the other two went inside. The police thinks that this was credible and they took her account seriously. And um, Ted Weihar and Jack Hewitt, who was identified by the store owner, came in and apparently bought some food and some chocolate milk. Um, and according to Ted's family, that doesn't really seem like he would do something like that. Or they in general. So. Well, like not go and buy food or whatever at some store, but in a different car and, you know, ignore his game that he was excited for. didn't seem like his personality or any of the guy's personalities. Um, but seeing Ted with Jack Hewitt, who he was closer to than the other men, although they were all friends and he would also eat anything. I guess that makes, could be a possibility that it was him, but I just, the whole fact that they were in a different car, which I guess could be possible because their car was, you know, stuck. Maybe somebody picked them up and they went to the store. I don't know. It doesn't really make sense because I don't think they would just completely ignore their, their basketball game that they were really excited for the next day. So I don't really know. It's just something to, to note. Um, but a lot of people think that, uh, that Gary probably did something to them, but I don't really agree. I don't agree with that. I mean, they were all really close, like I said, um, but I, I just wish there was more about this case. A lot of people think that there is not much uh, to say other than obviously they died of the elements. Well, obviously they did, but it's still a mystery because why were they there? Why did they go out of their way to go to this place? What happened? What got them to go in that direction is the biggest thing. And what happened to Gary Mathias? I mean, I whether he forced them up there or not, what happened to him? Where is he? I just don't agree that he would have done that. And why didn't they eat all the food? Why didn't they start a fire? Why did you know, there's so many whys. Uh, and it's tragic what happened to these men. And I want to believe until Gary has found that he is alive for his family's sake, but I don't think he would go this long without talking to his family. I don't know. I also don't agree about the mental capacity of him because we don't know. Uh, and I'm not a expert. I'm not going to, you know, whatever. Uh, but yeah, I, unfortunately that's all I have for you guys. I'm really sorry that there's not much to go on, but I really wanted to talk about this case because it's really upsetting that it's not solved or figured out or anything. The fact that Gary Mathias has not been found is really troubling to me because 
they searched that area pretty heavily. I mean, they used dogs, they used helicopters, they used, uh, they, they went on horseback, you know, they, they looked everywhere in that area and it's just like, how is he? I mean, you'd think after the snow melted, they would have found him by now, but they haven't. So it's like, maybe he did walk really far away and then, you know, died at the elements. I don't know. But even if he did, that's, it's still a mystery and it needs to be, it needs to be figured out. He needs to be found and brought back to his family. The family deserves answers to what happened to their sons. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm sorry about my sickness uh, and I will talk to you next time.